Menachem, is it working? Yeah, yes, it is. Okay. You're doing great. I want to dedicate our story tonight to Neshama of Rabbi Kasherman's mother, who passed away last week. Her name is Zivar Bas Racham Zacharya. She should be a good to better on behalf of their whole family. The uh, story I'm going to share with you tonight is an incredible story about the origins of the famous Siddiquim. It's a really long one. And it's about how they became who they were. Before we get to the story, I just want to um, point out something. Uh, when people think about the Baal Shem Tov, a lot of people think that the Baal Shem Tov wanted to uh, change Judaism, and wanted to subtract from Torah. But the truth is, the Baal Shem Tov didn't take anything away from Torah. Instead, the Baal Shem Tov sought to... Um, never going to happen, right? The Shem will never take away from Torah. Instead, he just brought into Torah joy and light and depth. But Hashem didn't take away from Torah. It's interesting. Uh, when the Baal Shem Tov first introduced the path of Hasidus, so there was, in the year 1650 and 1750, um, there was 1764, there was this group called the uh, Vad Arba Haratzes. It was what was called the Council of the Four Lands. And every Jewish community had a representative in this council. And many, and many, many, um, questions about halacha and other things were decided at the Council of the Four Lands, called the Council of the Four Lands because it included Little Poland, Greater Poland, Polonia, and Galicia, uh, Volinia and Galicia. And because of Alshemtiv's novel approach seemed to many people as being a, a, against Torah, they sent messengers to the Alshemtiv to to see if this, his path is indeed against Torah or not. And Baal Shem Tev told them that while they are trying to explore the Torah of the mind, Baal Shem Tev wants to reveal the Torah of the heart. And he chastised the messengers after arguing, proving his position for two days and day and night, discussing with them his position. He chastised them because he said, according to Torah, there's a rule, Shamoa ben Achechem. Shamoa ben Achechem means, order for a judge to pass judgment, you have to have all parties present. You can't pass judgment when you're by yourself. You have to, the plaintiff and the defendant have to both be around for you to be able to administer judgment. So while Shantav said, how could they possibly say whether my path is correct against Torah or not against Torah if I'm not there to defend it? And therefore he asked to arrange for a a place where he could speak to all the greater Torah giants and defend his position. And Baal Shem Tev told him, we're learning a lot about Avos Yisrael every week, so the Shem told him something incredible about this verse, this verse, Shamoa Ben which literally means, listen among your brothers. Baal Shem Tev said, Shamoa means a, a talent, a chush, a spiritual sensitivity to hear. If someone is blessed with a spiritual sensitivity to hear God's love, then bain, bain doesn't just mean between, bain also means to understand. Then he understands 
his brothers. He understands the virtue of the Jewish people. If you have a spiritual ear, spiritual sensitivity in your ears, you can hear the love of God for the Jewish people and the greatness of the Jewish people. And there's a second interpretation of Bein Achichem. Bein Achichem means to be connected with people. When you, when you appreciate how great other people are, how great our people is, then you, it makes you connected with people. And then the Baal Shem Tev said, conversely, in order to have that spiritual ear, that spiritual sensitivity to hear the value of other people and to hear God's love for each of us, you get that by being connected with other Jews. Anyways, they were impressed with the Baal Shem Tev, but they asked them a question. They said to the Baal Shem Tev, you only have 60 students. In our yeshivas, we have thousands and thousands of students. So what is your power greater than our power? Why should, why should we pay attention to you? So Baal Shem Tev gave him the following analogy. is a person could plant a vineyard, plant a field, and plant it in a way that there's no empty space. Every single inch is planted. And, that, and another way of doing it is that you plant only a few things, but you pay attention to water everything in the right time and to prune and to plow. So Baal Shem Tev said that when you plant every detail, every, every inch of the soil. So what happens is, is that you, you grow a lot, but there's a lot of, uh, a lot of wormy uh, vegetables and fruit that grow too. And what happens also is, is that the seeds of these wormy vegetable fruit produce more of the same versus when you pay attention to plow and plant and, and water and irrigate the, a few plants, a few, a few, uh, uh, smaller amount, so then you make sure it grows and it continues to grow for generation after generation. So the, the, the story I'm going to share, if you plant it very carefully, right, then you, it causes it to not only to grow, but it causes the offspring of those, of those things that you grew to, to continue on and on. And you see in our generation, you see so many years after Baal Shem Tev, in the story I'm going to share with you about the origins of Rameel Chlovizhenska, you see how his teachings really caused a revolution that continues to reverberate and impact Jews all over the world till this day. So, but again, the Baal Shem Tev didn't change anything. Instead, he brought out an inner beauty and depth to our Torah. He didn't subtract from Torah. Hasidus is Judaism plus, not minus. So here's a story. There was a very simple man, a very God-fearing man, whose name was Rabbi Eliezer Lippe. His father, name was, his name was Ramelech, Elimelech, was a great genius in Torah. Rose, please don't touch that, thanks. He's a great genius in Torah, and he knew the Talmud by heart. He knew Tosfos and Rashi by heart. And despite his great knowledge in Torah, he never at all sh showed off. In fact, he never would speak to people about, about Torah. And he and his wife were blessed with child, and she, unfortunately, she passed away in childbirth. And her husband, Rabbi Elimelech, passed away a year after her son was born. So now Rabbi Elimelech was sent to his uncle's house to stay. And his uncle was very busy with business. And he had no time to, to teach his, his adopted son, his nephew, Rabbi Elimelech. Yezlipa was very ignorant in Torah. He didn't really know any Torah at all. And he also married a woman who was also an orphan. She was, 
she grew up though in a in a rabbi's home. She was raised by a rabbi uh, in the city of uh, Tarnov, Galicia, and that's where they both were from. So she knew quite a lot of halacha, but she didn't really know much more. She didn't know how to read, for example. And they were blessed. They're married, and they were blessed with a child. Their first child, the name was Elimelech. He named his son after his father, and they were named plus another child, Mushum Zusia. Their children were yeah, very weak. Um, their bodies were physically very weak. I Not only they physically weak, but they were also so working. Um, I don't know. It's working. Some is it if, if you're not speaking, it's, if you're not um, asking a question, it's better to mute yourself. Could, could, um... Anyway, so they, as children, they were very weak physically, and they're also very weak in their minds. They could not understand Torah. That bothered their parents very much because both their parents knew that they came from great Torah scholars and, and a lineage of Torah scholars. And it bothered them that their children could not understand the Torah. Now, Reb, Reb uh, Eliezer Lippe, he knew business. He grew up around the businessmen and he knew how to do business. But he had once heard in the synagogue that Reb Gedalia, who was between Mincha and Meirev, he was teaching some Agadita, teaching some of the stories of the Talmud. And he mentioned how God, it's very precious to God when a person earns their livelihood from the effort of their own hands. So because of that, Rabbi Eliezer Lippa decided not to get into business. Instead, he became a water carrier. The Baal Shem Tev at this time, he used to dress up like a simple person, like a poor person. He used to travel from city to city. And he used to inspire people. He used to tell people about the great pleasure God has when people would say to him with sincerity and how precious it is to God. So in this city of Rabbi Eliezer Lippa, there were four wealthy people who would pay him more than the uh, average person. They, they were wealthier and they would pay him considerably more than the other people. And because he had these four clients, he was doing pretty good. He had a friend named Rebzalman Dov, Rebzalman Dov, he supplied the water for various synagogues. And there was one time that Abeliezer Lippa is walking in the marketplace and he sees Abzalman Dov and a few of his friends are listening to this poor man. He didn't know this poor man was the Baal Shem Tev. And no worries, show me. Your mic's not on. It's all cool. So, the, um, so they, they, uh, they hear the Baal Shem Tev. They don't know it's Baal Shem Tev. He's dressed like a poor man. The Baal Shem Tev tells them the following story. He said there was once a man, a very wealthy man, who donated a ox to the base of Migdash. He wanted to bring a sacrifice to God. He donated this beautiful, big, healthy ox to the temple. And everyone was excited about it, except for the ox. The ox didn't want to go. It was a huge, strong ox, and they couldn't get the ox to move. This poor guy is walking past them, and he has this bag of groceries and vegetables, and he sees the tumult, and he decides he's, he, he knows a way to help them to get the ox to the temple. So he goes over to the ox, he, he, he puts the vegetables, puts the lettuce and whatever it was in front of the ox's mouth. The ox went for it. And he started leading the ox towards the base of Migash, towards the temple. And successfully, the ox is brought there and the ox is brought as a sacrifice. The rich man is very happy to bring the sacrifice to God. He invited his friends and his family and all the Kohanim, all the priests in the temple were also happy because they're all going to partake of this great stake of this great sacrifice. And that night, the rich man has a dream. And in his dream, God tells them 
that he has more satisfaction from, from this poor person's vegetables, from his, from his gift, than from this big sacrifice that he gave. And that really resonated with Rabbi Lezer Lip because Balshanda continued and said that God goes over to the angels when a Jew does something sincerely for God. God goes over to the angels and says to the angels, look at my child, look what my child has done for me. God, so to speak, brags to all the angels and says, look what my child has done for me. So this really touched Rabbi Yezer And he couldn't get this story out of his mind. It gnawed at him for weeks, one week, two weeks, three weeks. He's thinking about the story. And he thought of a plan, what he could do for God. He decided that he's going to make a exchange with uh, Rabbi Zalman Daif. Uh, exactly the opposite of a Huckleberry Finn kind of story. He goes over to Zalman Daif and he says to Zalman Daif, you know, you have these four synagogues. I have these four wealthy clients to pay me 50% of what I earn. Let's switch. I'll take over the four synagogues and supply water for the synagogues. And you supply water for these four wealthy clients of mine. We'll argue with that. That's, that's what he wanted to do. And he told us, he first asked his wife and she was very happy about this as well. So he did this because he told his wife that the Alshantif had said in his own words, he said these words to, to his wife, Alshantif said a Jew can bring a sacrifice to God. And this is what we should do, some, what could we do for God? And this, this is what he did. He decided to give up his wealthy client so he should be able to um, do this for Hashem. Now, uh, he also decided, he and his wife, they would, she didn't know how to read. And she would go with him sometimes to, to, to have the merits to be part of this great mitzvah of bringing water to the synagogues. And they would go together. And he would say words of Psalms together with his wife. And they would cry together. She didn't know how to read. So he would say the words of Tehillim, and she would repeat it after him. Together they would cry and ask God that God should open up the minds of their children to understand the Torah. Chaimushka, by the way, Chaimushka, I just want to let you know that we can hear you. I just want to let you know. Okay. Anyways, so... Uh, so, I raise a mirror, they can hear you too. So pay attention. So what happens is, is that um, they're crying, not only they're crying and praying, praying together, he, would, he and his wife would fast very often, not eat anything, in order to be able to give the value of what they, of what they would have used to buy food, to give it to charity. And every Arab Shabbos, Every Friday, his wife would bake two chalas, give it out to the poor, and the married their two children, the God should open up their eyes to Torah study. She would light two candles, bring the two candles to the shul, so the God should light up her children's minds and hearts to Torah study. And this is the way they lived. And Baruch Hashem, her son, Zusha, turned 13, and her son, Elimel, turned 18. They wanted to go to yeshiva, and they send them off to yeshiva, and they took, instead of their children, two children who didn't have anyone to take care of them. And they supported them and they brought them to school and they brought them to the Torah. And they saw that their efforts paid off. And Melech and Zusha, their minds started to understand Torah. And they really, really appreciated God's gift. One day, Rabbi Zaliazer Lippe is going to draw water. And his wife wasn't with him at the time. And it was Friday, Friday morning. He draws water. And in the water, there was this huge fish. Ah, oh, great fish for Shabbos. He brings the fish home to his wife. 
and he gives the wife the fish, and he, he and the two boys that he adopted go to the mikveh. They go to prepare themselves to wash themselves for Shabbos in the town uh, mikveh. And when they come back, they see his wife is very, very upset. Why is she upset? Because she found in the belly of the fish a diamond, a huge diamond. And she was very upset. Why was she upset? Because she says, now you're going to want to go and you're going to do business. And you always told me that Abgadalia told you once that God has great pleasure from a person studying Torah, from working with his own hands and, and the Rebbe's festival, from a person working and benefiting from the work of his hands. So he told him, it's not true. I, I don't want to go into business, but also I don't know what we should do with this great diamond. What are you supposed to do about it? And they were both upset about this discovery of the diamond. So it's Shabbos, Shabbos is Shabbos, and he ignores his, his problem with discover having now this new diamond to worry about. And he and his wife and the children, they sing the songs of Shabbos. They're very excited, but Shabbos is over. He makes Abdullah, and he's very upset again. What is he going to do about the diamond? And his wife told him a story that she had heard. She had heard a lot of stories and a lot of halachas growing up in the house of this rabbi. She had heard about this great tzaddik who had prayed to God to alleviate him from his poverty. And they got a gift from God, this golden leg, the golden leg of a table. And at first they were very happy to get this, but then his wife had a dream. In her dream she saw that... Uh, that this golden leg was missing in their temple in heaven, in their table in heaven, they were eating together at a table in heaven, and there was four golden legs in everyone else's table, but their table only had three golden legs. So she asked her husband, please pray to God, take back the golden leg. We don't want to be missing out in heaven. So she told her husband, we don't want to be missing out. I don't know why God is testing us with this. We don't want to have this wealth. Please go to the rabbi, find out what we need to do. So she went to the, he went to the rabbi, the rabbi said that halachically, this belongs to them completely, but they could do with it as they please and give it to charity as well. And they were very happy. They were able to give this to charity and they divided half of the uh, value of this stone to support people studying Torah and the others to poor people. His wife had said to him that she remembers a story. It's apparently a story about Rashi's father. Rashi's father was once in a boat and he, and he had this precious stone and there's a whole story how Rashi's father was uh, asked by this nobleman to give this precious stone to be put into an idol and ordered not to be tested to sell the stone or not, whether he, or that he shouldn't be challenged, whether by the money that the nobleman was going to offer him for this stone to put in his idol, Rashi's father threw the stone out of the ship. So she told her husband, this is what we need to do. God is testing us. We don't want this test. We want to give it away and give it away fast. And in that merit, God should bless our children to be able to understand the Torah. And the good news is that it really worked. Her children became the famous Hadikim, Ramelech of Ajansk, and Zushavane The story expresses how you give something to Hashem with sincerity, with, with, with your heart, with devotion. So Hashem pays back, and Hashem blesses you and your family, your children. They should be the way they're supposed to. And that's a story you wanted to share tonight. Any questions, comments, criticism, tomatoes, and cucumbers? <laughs> Raise the middle of my biggest fan. She likes my jokes. Thank you, Rabbi. Good work, Dr. Bressman. Good work, David. Good work, Benchayel. Good work, Yonatan. Good work, Shalom. Good work, Yavisif. Good work, Yonatan. Good work, Ben Shalom. Good work.
Good work, good work. Good work, good work. Thank you very much. Good work.